Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's a new episode of Cinematics. This is episode number 225. I'm joined by my better Eric Holmes. Eric, how are you doing? One o'clock on Pacific time. Tired, been watching too many movies. What's going on with you? A lot of interviews? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the interviews. I just did them all. <laughs> you, just, you just did them all? Yeah. What are some of the interviews that you've recently done? I think you did an interview with the director of which brings me to you i believe i did i did uh we got that uh we got uh, uh two the actors for uh sunrise which will also be covering uh no one from one more shot but uh we will be talking more about that movie next week when bruce is back hopefully with him yes bruce is absent for this episode but not really absent because he actually taped a segment on movies that he missed for the year 2023 so i think I haven't listened to that segment yet. That segment will be at the end of this episode as well. And I'm going to try this out. We're trying this out. Eric and I are going to do just a very quick mini spoiler on one of the movies we're reviewing, Driving Madeleine. We're going to leave that after the Bruce Perky segment. So it's weird. I know after this episode, when we sign off, we're not just going to sign off because you can cut right into Bruce. You can actually seamlessly go right into Bruce's segment. And then I would advise, if you have not seen Driving Madeleine, which I don't know what Eric thought thought of the movie. I haven't asked him yet. I really enjoyed it so far. I'm not so far. I just really loved it. We're going to do a quick little spoiler at the end. So you'll get kind of three treats for episode number 225. Speaking of Bruce Perky, we also have to mention for Patreon, he is the picker of this month's Patreon for January. And his movie is, I believe, a movie called Son of Rainbow or something. I haven't even looked that up. Oh, that Son really... of Rambo. Son of... Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. Son of Rambo. Do you know what that is? Son of Rambo? Is that? It's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, a kid really likes Rambo and mm. stuff happens. Uh, and then st- <laughs> stuff happens. All right. So that is Bruce's pick, Son of Rambo for the year 2008. And for our Cinematics Patreon members, you can vote on what movie or request what movie you want, other movie you want us to pick for this month's Patreon for Cinematics. Also, we have to mention that on Saturday, we will be joining Jason Kleberg, me, Eric, and Bruce for what would you call it, that Force 5 episode, Eric? It's like a 2023 year in review sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, gotta gotta come up with like a top top 10, really, top five, and then five honorable mentions. And uh, still not sure what I'm going to put there. Like that, yeah. that there, there's definitely some that are definitely going to be on there. And I think the. Me, you, and Bruce, uh, whether we use do it on the first five show or do it on our show, we're going to have our collective top five of the year. So yeah. ho- hopefully that's five movies that I can, I don't have to worry about those. That'll be on our collective list so I can just concentrate on, whittle down the list a bit because there's a lot of bangers in 2023. Right, there are a lot of bangers from last year. And for Jason Kleberg's Force 5 podcast, we're going to, yeah, like Eric was saying, it's sort of a best best of the year thing. So that'll be sort of our best of the year thing with on Force 5 so we can share our top 10 lists and the different categories that Jason has on his podcast. I believe I did that best of with Jason a year ago. I My old age is hor- horrific, so it's, it's ravaging my brain. But I've been on Jason's wonderful show twice 
before, and I'm re- really looking forward to joining it up again. And Eric, you've been on Jason's show before. Did you like your uh, Force Five? Right, you've been on, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, me and Bruce did a. Uh, actually, now that I think we we never paid that off, but we did a uh, Kurt Russell draft, mm. and yeah, I would pick a Kurt Russell movie. He'd pick one. I'd pick one, and then he puts it on online, and people. Oh yeah. Vote on which 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 five movies they would rather watch. Okay, cool. I think they just saw it. that one has a thing on it. I'll vote for that. It's like, wow, well, it's easy. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was a previous episode of Force Five, but we will be there this weekend for for Jason Klebuk's Force Five podcast. That should be very interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to look at, think of my top ten for this year. I can't think of any. I think there's this movie called Our Father the Devil that I re- I think I really like for our consensus podcast. We'll see. Regarding our collective top five, we will have that on a future cinematics episode. And the top five is interesting. It's these are five movies that all three of us will probably gave either four and a half or five stars to movies that we feel are in award season might be overlooked or yeah, overlooked, underrated, basically five gems that hopefully you guys will see that that will be our cinematics top five on a future episode. I'm thinking of dropping that episode or recording that episode close to whenever the Oscars are broadcast. So before the Oscars, you can see, well, maybe movies that are sort of off the beaten path that all three of us really, really loved. Now going into movies that hopefully we really loved this week, we have three movies to cover, three features, main features. Sunrise, which brings me to you and driving Madeleine. Eric Holmes, you do the honor. Which of these three movies are you primed to talk about? I was going to say save the best for last, but I'm not sure which one is the best. So uh, let's just go with the Sunrise. Okay, so Sunrise is interesting. It stars Alex Pettifer and it is directed by Andrew Baird. And it centers, it's one of these movies where you don't know how much you can really say about the movie. It stars Alex Pettifer and Guy Pierce. You know, Alex Pettifer possibly from Magic Mike or a movie that I of his that I really love called Backroads. Guy Pierce, you know, from LA Confidential and whole bunch of other movies here's a short synopsis when an ex-cop named fallon returns to the scene of a horrific crime the residents of a rural town soon discover that his dark that this dark visitor is really a vampire who feeds on blood and fear that sounds like a really fun interesting movie ex-cop played by alex Pettifer. he's now a vampire he's going to wreak havoc and maybe vengeance and yeah, blood soaked vengeance in this town, this little small ramshackle ramshackle town in the Pacific Northwest. Thing is, the movie itself is a very it's interesting at points. It's it's uh, the genre is a thriller, 94 minutes. It's very moody and atmospheric, and there's some interesting world building regarding an Asian immigrant family who moved into the area, and due to the racism in the area, by the way, this section of this Pacific Northwest town is ruled by this corrupt, I don't know, businessman or something. He's played by Guy Pierce, and he's right from the get-go, he's a racist, okay? And you you can tell because he performs a very violent act to an Asian man at the beginning of the movie, setting a pretty much just a set of a, a lot of dominoes falls. And what happens is this ex-cop Fallon, played by Pettifer, he comes into town, he's very tired, and this Asian family nurse, nurses him back to health and it sort of brings in sort of like maybe a, a Shane element where will this person, will this mysterious figure help this Asian family find some healing and maybe 
turn the tables on the bully played by Guy Pierce and his minions. That is a premise of Sunrise, directed again by Andrew Baird. The writers, Ronan Blaney. Eric, you've done the interviews. What is your thoughts on the movie? Uh, this was uh, not at all what I thought it was going to be. Because it, it started off like it was going to be a horror. And then really quickly, it kind of turned into like a like a rural drama. Like, you know, a family drama with like racism and stuff back and forth. It, almost to the point where like halfway through the movie, and every once in a while in the movie, they go back to the the vampire thing but like even the vampire thing it's not like well i'm a vampire when they kill everyone it's it's like real subtle with it so like and as i was watching i kept forgetting i was like oh right this is a vampire movie and then they go back into the drama stuff like the bringing up killing of two lovers but it's got that kind of vibe or uh oh what was that one with uh billy bob thornton um sling blade no oh uh, well yeah i guess that too devil's peak i think okay was that was Never that, heard of uh, that Devil's Peak? Oh right, right. The family yeah. movie. I yeah. forgot the name of that movie. Yeah. Anyways, but but it had kind of kind of that kind of vibe to it, and so I kept forgetting about the vampire stuff, and then it when it went back to the vampire stuff, I'm like, okay. So it's just kind of like a interesting kind of back and forth between genres, and not two genres you usually see kind of married together the way this one does. The narrative itself was a bit elliptical for me. I mean, no, no, it's elliptical and atmospheric and moody. It was interesting, but I was expecting a genre film, and it doesn't feel – it feels more like a mood, atmospheric piece, beautifully shot. I really – if you get into the entire vibe of the movie, I think this is actually worth a watch. But I felt a lot of times there are things in this movie regarding – they call the vampire a red coat. There's yeah. a legend of the red coat in the movie about the story. That is – I wish they actually went into the whole legend of the red coat and what that red coat has an influence over this town. I wish a little bit more was explained. Or maybe that is the whole premise of this thing, where a lot of the story gaps or the messages or themes will be filled in by the audience members, which I don't I don't mind. The ending, the final act, is pretty interesting as well. I really enjoyed it. I think there are a lot of very interesting things. I liked Alex Pettifer and in this movie, who's very good as that sort of mysterious somber dude he doesn't really say that much he has a good presence in this film guy pierce he i would say it's overacting but really not it's really not overacting because this character is a total jerk and racist and just evil human being so he's going to play him in a very arch manner so yeah overall i thought a lot of very interesting moments in this movie is it a great thriller not a great thriller but i think actually because of what the themes are regarding immigration, racism, also bullying, there's there's some really a lot of interesting mixes. I would give this a mild recommendation at three stars for Sunrise. It was an interesting movie, had its flaws, but overall I like the final execution of the film. So, Eric, a little bit more on this movie and then your rating. Yeah, uh, I'd probably go a three and a half on it. Could go higher. I, I was just thinking like uh, the Scott Cooper movies. I know a lot of people don't like Scott Cooper for reasons I don't quite understand. Right. Like out of but, the furnace. But uh, think of like out, yeah, out of the furnace, but with a vampire in it. Like it, if you're watching out of the furnace and you're like, he's more vampire than this might be your movie, uh, perhaps. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's uh, again, did the moody stuff, did the atmospheric stuff work for you? And the fact that it wasn't a, a straight up revenge, bloody mono mono. Okay. It did, and I'm wondering that now that you've seen it, like if you watch 
now that you've watched the movie, knowing what it is, like if you went back to it, you know how like sometimes like you'll watch a movie and it's not what you ex- expect and it kind of turns you off a bit. Yeah. But then once you know, you'll go back to it and go, oh yeah, this, maybe I like this a little more than I did before because you're acclimated to what it is already. Oh, good point. Yeah. I, again, I, I thought it was, there were some interesting elements to it. I would give it, again, that mild recommendation just because I really liked the way a lot of things were set up. Gets surprisingly pretty bloody at the end too. So, so yeah. three and a half for you, Eric, on Sunrise. Yeah. And then who did you interview just for what we're going to release later on this week with the people, the folks you interviewed for Sunrise? The, oh, it was uh, Alex uh, Pettifer. My brain sucks. Uh, okay, so uh, Kurt Yeager, is that the other yeah, guy? Or yeah, what? Kurt Yeager and Alex Pettifer. So who did Yeager play in Sunrise? He was the cop. Yeager yeah. plays a cop in Sunrise, and he has an interesting confront- confrontation with the Pettifer character. So Sunrise, it is in theaters January 19th. And actually, towards the end of the interview, Eric mentions that, oh, people should see this in the theaters when he talked to Alex Pettifer. It's also going to be on digital and on demand, the same same day and date as its January 19th release in theaters. So if you don't see it in theaters, it's available on digital and not on demand. Tell us what you think of of, of Sunrise, which is its distributor is Lionsgate. I like my, my share of Lionsgate films. So tell us what you think. Does this movie work for you? Three stars for me. Again, three and a stars for Eric Holmes. Which brings us to a movie called Which Brings Me to You. And this movie, to me, was I was expecting a very light rom-com and that would just wild, just waste away and <laughs> watching a funny, just harmless 90-minute rom-com. Nothing wrong with that. This movie was a little bit more deep for me than expected, and that is a good thing. Stars, who, who's, who are the stars? Stars Nat Wolf, is that his name? Nat yep. Wolf. And Lucy Hale. Lucy Hale, and they meet at a wedding and their initial, they make googly eyes at each other. Not googly, they make very animalistic eyes towards each, towards each other. They sort of have they that make, uh, Meet me in the coat room to bang me out eyes at each other. <laughs> exactly. So they go to the coat room. They're about to bang. And for some reason, Nat's character, he cannot go through with the, the deal. He just wants to actually get to know her a little bit more. And the rest of the movie deals with how after a failed hookup in the in in this clothes closet they decide to start bearing their souls to each other and a lot of this movie of which brings me to you also deals with vignettes or memories of each of their past relationships so it's sort of when you think of which brings me to you it's sort of like a before sunrise set i think it's set somewhere in the hamptons or somewhere somewhere in the east coast it's really be- beautiful and picturesque lucy hale and Nat Wolf, they're very good in the movie, and they they make a believable kind of quasi couple in the film. So it's beautifully shot, and I really like the flashbacks. Sometimes flashbacks and narratives they're they seem like sort of just extra dressing, but I ended up really liking to learn more about their respective pasts and how eventually they try to reconcile their past, learn from their past, and move forward with each other as a couple. Do they make it at the towards the end? We well, that's. That's a that's a big question regarding which brings me to you, Eric Holmes. Your review of the movie, your thoughts on it? Uh yeah, I like this one a lot. It's uh yeah, definitely a rom com. I think the Before series is uh, kind of uh, this one's a little more broader than those kind of movies. It feels like uh, probably just because you know as they go back and forth and kind of trade uh, 
horror stories of past relationships this one's a lot more broad funny i guess probably probably more charming i think but uh yeah it's uh, uh i'm trying to think of like a really good example of this but i don't want get to watch many of these kind of movies so i can't think of one but i yeah just decent rom-com I like the chemistry between uh uh jane and will and i like the 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 flashbacks work for me and getting um i don't know if that nat wolf looks like uh the guy from scrubs but i do get oh, like zach a, braff yeah zach braff but i do get like a heavy kind of scrub sort of vibe from this movie it's got that kind of tone to it um where it's you know mostly mostly charming kind of funny and then at the end it gets like uh you know at the end of every episode of scrubs you get like real serious towards the end that's kind of what this does a little bit and yeah i dug it movie is based on the novel which brings me to you a novel of confessions by steve almond and juliana baggett and it was written by keith bunin and the director is Peter Hutchings, who Eric Holmes also recently interviewed Peter Hutchings. His previous movie before this was The Hating Game, by the way, which also stars Lucy Hale. I really enjoyed this movie. Surprisingly moved by the ending. Just really enjoyed the whole story and the whole wrap-up of the film. And yeah, for me, which brings me to you, is an above-average romantic comedy. It's more than a solid recommend. This is like, yeah, go check this movie out. I, especially if you are a fan of Lucy Hale, you might know her from what is that series? I'm trying. She was in the movie Truth or Dare. She was in Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, that's a series for years on end. And Nat oh. Wolf, if you know her in The Fault in Our Stars, they do really good work in this film. John Gallagher Jr., who I really love, he was in. He was in the newsroom. He also has a really interesting co-starring role as a former lover of Lucy's character. He plays yeah. a writing professor in the film. Yeah, Eric, you want to say? Uh, also, uh, Shannon O'Neill shows up at the very end. Uh, she didn't have much to do, but she's the Lyft driver at the end. Uh, oh, she right. was in Uncle Peckerhead. She was okay. the, uh, uh, yeah. uh, I forget what her character is. She had a small part in Uncle Peckerhead too. People just need to put her in movies like more. Uh, Jen Jennings, uh, she was the, like, the local person that would like sign local bands okay cool small I part see. in uncle pickerhead but she was in uncle pickerhead which is the important part which is showed the, up in this which is the important part so which brings me to you again hitting theaters january 19th for me i'm gonna give it a solid three and a half out of five stars just this is one of those movies that might go up in the future i just really liked it right down the middle this is just a solid recommend especially if you're a fan i, I wouldn't say rom-com genre but this is more like a rom-com with huge dramatic elements. So rom-com drama, this is a solid three and a half out of five for me. What about you, Eric? I will go four stars on this. And uh, spoiler alert, I do the same on the next movie we're about to talk about because there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover between what I liked about both movies. Oh, very good. Okay. So check that out. Four stars for Eric Holmes and three and a half stars for me for which brings me to you. Finally, for our featured, we have Driving Madeline. This is a movie that I saw last week. I was so excited for Bruce and Eric to see it. Bruce has not seen it. I don't know if he will get to see it. Maybe we can actually convince him to see Driving Madeline. Here's the thing. The actual premise of the movie seems very sappy, but it's so well done. It centers on a French taxi driver. He is just barely making ends meet, and he's just flustered and pressured with his job and he 
he gets a new job. I mean, not a, a new uh, passenger, new passenger. The thing is, she is on the other side of town. But the good thing is she promises a really big fare. It's going to be a really like a really nice daily payday for this taxi driver. So he decides to drive across town. He picks up Madeleine and they the rest of the movie, it's him talking to Madeleine, who is an elderly woman. She is leaving her domicile for the last time, and she wants one final drive around Paris and its surrounding areas before, by the end of the day, he will drop her off at her nursing home while she will live to the rest of her day. So it is a bit, it seems, the premise seems a bit melancholic, and it is, but there is a lot of really interesting things about this movie. You get to learn about Madeleine's previous life, which I don't know how far we can get to, into regarding she get with with a very important lover in her life as well as a lifelong possible companion and child you get to see her the spectrum of her life but then there are a lot of really heavy elements to Madeleine's story a lot of tragic moments and what's interesting about Madeleine as a character she is played by Lean Reno and Lean Reno is sublime in this film by the way you she brings a lot of light behind the eyes of Madeleine Madeleine it's a very optimistic and woman and strong-willed woman, as you will learn throughout the narrative. And it's really interesting and inspiring to see that she can have, still have a zest for life with everything that's gone before. And Danny Boone, he plays Charles, a taxi driver, and Danny Boone is equally good as the initially scruff guy who gradually warms up to Madeleine and her stories. Also have to mention Alice Isaz. She plays the younger version of Madeleine. And like which brings me to you, the flashbacks in this movie have a really big part in the overall story structure of Driving Madeleine. I really love this movie. Towards the end, I'll be honest, I was I was pretty much teary. I, I, tears were flowing after Driving Madeleine. May have been manipulative, but worked for me. Loved all of the areas of Paris and the neighborhoods they went to. So even if you just want to look at Paris as a travelogue, it works but as a, just a really good drama. And at times comedy, it works as well. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. And this is one of those movies that I'm so glad on cinematics we get to discover that is far from all of the movies that, no disrespect, that, are, that most people are publicizing on a weekly basis. This is a, a hidden gem that I'm going to give a huge rating for. And it's 91 minutes. It actually says it was released 2022. So... I interviewed the director, Christian Carrion, and he said it was actually released in many countries. And I think one of the last stops is here in the U.S. Eric Holmes, your review and thoughts on Driving Madeline. Uh, this is almost the exact same movie as which brings me to you. Almost. Uh, you got uh, two strangers and they learn. They learn about each other as we learn about them. Uh, but this one's a little more one-sided because it's mostly about Madeline's uh, background. Uh, first of all, when I put this movie on, like the first 10 minutes or so, I was like, oh, no. Do I got to watch this? I don't want to watch this. And it wasn't until like the first flashback when Madeline really started getting into her backstory that I'm like, oh, okay, Let, let's hear more. And then I think I think uh, I started turning around to enjoying the movie around the same time that uh, Charles did, you know, because he's like, I don't want to talk to this old lady. <laughs> I just want to drive you over to where you're going and, you know, be done with it. And then she starts telling her story and it's like, 
oh okay do go on because that that was messed up what just happened to you and i'm sorry you had to go through that now where uh which brings me to you was more light and fun you know kind of like scrubs this is like the uh serious business like yeah as the movie goes on it just gets they just feel for madeline because like life had just chewed her up and spit her out in so many different ways that you just kind of I, I forgot where I was going with that, but uh, that yeah, this is like the serious business version of which brings me to you, where which brings me to you is a light, fun version. Driving Madeline is the Oscar Beatty kind of version, and I like I like both of them. Uh, they're basically just uh, you know both strangers meeting each other and uh, developing a relationship. They're both they're both love stories but like you know one's uh which brings me to use more of a romantic love story this one's uh driving madeline's more of a love story in the sense that uh shawshank redemption is like you know two people that love each other you know uh develop a bond uh both movies are bonds through tragedy quite honestly i think driving madeline and which brings me to you is would be a nice uh double feature Try to watch Driving Madeline first, and then I need to cheer up a bit. So let me put on Which Brings Me to You so I can kind of cheer up a bit and actually go to sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking towards the end of the podcast if you want to listen to it. We'll just, I'm going to ask Eric a quick question regarding the end of Driving Madeline, and I'll, I want to see what his reaction to that film is. Did you get a little bit choked up towards the end? Did it get you? A little bit. Not not too bad because I kind of I saw that ending coming I saw that ending coming a mile away. Didn't mean it wasn't effective, but you know, it's kind of like a, what they call it. That's when something ends the way the natural progression or something like that. Like yeah. it, it ended where it needed to be. It was a good ending. I I liked it, but at the same time, I was like, of course they went here. <laughs> of course they went here. All right. Driving Madeline. It was, was released last week on January 12th in New York and Los Angeles. Now the good news is, January 19th is its national rollout, so it will be playing in select theaters, I believe, in over 80 theaters across the U.S. So that's the good news. Driving Madeline, I believe it's a great theatrical experience, especially if you're looking for a really well-done drama, which tugs at the heartstrings, but just great performances by Lynn Reynaud and Danny Boone and Alice Isaz. My rating for Driving Madeline, five stars. I mean, it's a simple story, but I really loved everything about this movie. I'm going to continue to rewatch it. What about you, Eric? Uh, four stars on this one, too. Driving Madeline and Which Brings Me to You are two different sides of the same coin for me. They're okay. they're like wildly different flavors, but they're, I mean, at its core, they're both exactly the same movie. And I like them both equally, just for different reasons. Cool. All right. So that is it for the our featured. We're actually going to have a couple of very quick recommends before we close out this episode eric very quickly what do you have to say about visniac uh visniac is a uh documentary by laura bialis <clears throat> it chronicles i want to say it chronicles uh roman visniac's life but not really it, it's a it's a strange uh documentary I, I guess we'll get more into it next week it, it's a documentary about roman visniac uh told through his photography over the years and told by his his daughter who recently passed well passed away in 2018 but uh maro visniak and so it's kind of through her voice and his pictures it takes you through world war ii and takes you through uh it takes a weird turn at the end uh but it's going to be playing in 
uh let me check here it's going to be in theaters in new york on friday the 19th and in theaters in la on february 2nd so if you can check that out don't have a date yet for any streaming but uh if you can check it out this weekend and you live in any of those two places uh do so it's a pretty good documentary okay and then you also we loved one shot from a couple of years back, I believe. Let's oh, be that's evil. an understatement. Yeah, we we loved One Shot, starring the king of <laughs> Eric's king, aka Scott Adkins. So, one more shot. You actually paid for it on digital. Is was it worth the purchase? What is one more shot? Oh yes, uh, one more shot is uh, basically Metal Gear Solid, um, directed video Metal Gear Solid movie, and a very good one. Uh, one more shot is just continuing that story. Uh, this time you got Tom Berenger showing up. Uh, you also have Michael Jai White. I will say, because this is, if I have one nitpick about this movie, I needed more Michael Jai White. He shows up like about 30 minutes in, and he shows up a little bit at the very end, but you don't get a lot of Michael Jai White. And you know, I, I just wanted more. But I guess uh, after this, they're going to do one last shot. I think yeah. that's going to be the third that's one. Cool, yeah. Maybe some people show up in that one. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But are, yeah, this is Are there any other characters from the first one shot that shows up to one more shot, or is it just Atkins? Yeah, it's uh oh shoot, what's the guy's name? The the main guy that Scott Atkins was trying to save in the first one. Sure. So this is they leave the the movie, they land, and then he's got that guy with them. So it's it's a direct continuation of the first oh, one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, and this one ends up pretty open ended. There's going to be characters that that uh, continue on to the third one, I imagine. Okay. So, like, they 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 left it on. I mean, it it ended satisfyingly, but it also ended on a cliffhanger. Greg, I cannot wait for this trilogy to complete. <laughs> I need to get this whole trilogy inside my head. And for the love of God, someone give James Nunn and Scott Adkins a budget so they can make a Metal Gear Solid movie properly. The only thing this is missing is like the the over the top villains, the Psycho Mantis and Revolver Outlaw. You need characters like that that in here. The one the one shot movies are essentially Metal Gear Solid. You know what's so funny? One shot. It's still I, I'm sure people have seen it in the last couple of years. That's still such a highly underrated movie. Yeah. With what they did and. Well, you and I and Bruce, we see so many action movies. Very few reach the levels of one shot, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so good. And what? so one more shot is almost sustains. I mean, it's hard to sustain that one shot level, but it's still very a very, very good movie, I, right? Eric? I still think the first one's better, but we're talking like one's a five and the other one's a 4.9. You know, <laughs> that, that's, it's like that one's better, but like not like... Oh yeah, this one's gold and this one's dog poop. You know, it's not like that. But all right. So how did you? Is it on digital right now? On demand? Is that how I got it? Yeah, duh, you can rent it uh, for like four or five bucks, something like that. Okay. And then hopefully, uh, when the third one comes out, they'll come out with a, like a Blu-ray box set. Um, <laughs> or maybe, maybe uh, once they come out with the third one, they'll re-edit it. The whole thing is one movie. Call it one long shot. And right. it's just all three movies like glued together, like uh, the Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair. That you would know what, be sweet. Well, you know what's cool is you can actually do one shot and one more shot, right? Back to back now. Yeah. And that, that'd be a probably a cool viewing experience at home, right? Just yeah. to see those movies back to back. Like you said, it's just a seamless continuation of what happened from one to the next, right? So, yeah. Wow. So right. I'm 
Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking so forward to the third one. They stick the landing. This will be like one of my favorite trilogies of all time. Wow. Okay, so one more shot. What is your rating? At six point nine. Well, no, uh, we'll we'll go five on this one because, like I said, I did like one. I think I gave one shot a six point nine. And yeah. I like that one a little bit more than this. So I'll go five stars on this. Five stars for one more shot. That now, is keep in mind, my taste might not be yours, but. You know, you know what, one. though? One shot is one of those movies. I feel like I don't know how you can't cannot love that movie. That's such yeah. a well done film. So I'm I'm really excited. I will pay my. If, if there was more Michael Jai White in this, this would have been six point. This would have been a. 69.69 <laughs> okay all right that is for one more shot eric's review one more shot that is five stars available now on digital and demand final recommendation of the week in theaters january 19th i can't wait i hope eventually not like look me eric and bruce we have around three to five well actually four to five movies to watch next week eric i don't know if you're going to be able to even fit this into your schedule, but Antonio Banderas, I don't know. I, I think you're, I'm assuming you're a big fan of his yeah. work, right? 13th warrior. I'm sure you love that movie. I Desperado. love the Desperado <laughs> Zorro mask of Zorro, all that stuff. Spike kids 3d. There you go. There you go. A lot of good stuff. So Alice Eve and Antonio Banderas, they're in this new movie called cult killer. And it centers on a private investigator played by Antonio Banderas and his like partner, protege, his partner played by Alice E. They are, it says here, they're drawn into a web of intrigue when they start tracking a serial killer targeting a wealthy family with a dark secret. So two private eyes, Antonio Banderas, Alice E. They're tracking down a serial killer who is murdering different people. And you don't know who those people are. They might be, that person, that killer's target might be a very rich family in the neighborhood. So that is the premise of Cult Killer. What's interesting about the synopsis is it's not, it's a little bit inaccurate. And I don't want to say why it's inaccurate because stuff happens in this movie. Okay. There are some twists and turns regarding Cult Killer. I will say this, the the serial killer, I can actually announce who the serial killer is. She is played by Shelly Hennig and she is fantastic in this movie as a serial killer now ultimately she will have a really interesting connection with the alice eve private eye character as well and antonio banderas he serves as sort of the father figure to alice eve in this film some of this movie it takes place in flashback as well there's a lot of stuff going on as a huge brian de palma fan there are some really outrageous things that happen in this movie that I think some people will just go, what? It will just get annoyed by. I loved it. It goes, it really goes for some interesting twists. And the third act where you see this, this serial killer and Alice Eve, they have their confrontation. It's so well done as well as what happens to the people who are the targets of the serial killer. Yeah. And Antonio Banderas, I mean, I've never seen him bad in any movie and we've over in Find Your Film and as well as Cinematics, we've reviewed our share of Antonio Banderas in theaters for one weekend, but then eventually on digital and on-demand movies. And I think we ended up really liking him in a lot of the films, no matter what kind of quality they're in. I really enjoyed him in Cult Killers. Well, I I liked his character and I can't specifically say why I really appreciated his character. I could relate to his character in, in many different ways. It is directed by John Keyes, 
written by Charles Burnley. This is one of these movies that you might think it's a cheap grade Z level movie and I, it's really well shot and really well executed. There, There is a sequence where Alice Eve is questioning somebody and it's just funny. I mean, it's probably unintentionally funny, but it worked for me. And I just really love Cult Killer. I'm giving it four out of five stars. Again, in theaters January 19th. Worth a look if you're a fan of Alice Eve, Antonio Banderas. And if you're a fan of these type of twisty thrillers, it's just... And to be honest, Shelley Hennig steals a movie from both of them. So it's just a really well done film. And I don't know, maybe you have the link, Eric. If you have time, give Cult Killer a shot. Tell me what you think. I know this is definitely not a movie for Bruce Perky. So I, I, I plan to watch it after I watch one more shot again. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very, very good. So I mean, it's a it's a short episode. We're gonna actually not that short because we're gonna put Bruce's segment right after this episode. And anything else you want to say before we go? And then we're gonna go into our our spoiler for Driving Madeline. My my question for the spoiler, and it's not not really a spoiler, but this is sort of a a question I'll, I'll ask Eric, and we'll leave it at the end of the podcast. So anything um, else you want to say or plug or whatever? Yeah, well, uh, I believe we have like a, a big interview, all interview episode coming out. Or is that, is that mistaken on that? The all interview. Well, I'm, I'll probably put the, your interview. I, I know we got for, a bunch of them backlog, but yeah, yeah. Maybe so on I'll, the finder film. Yeah. So I'll put, something. Yeah. In about a couple of days, we'll, there's so much stuff you've done, Eric. I've got to put them up. So I'm going to put this up. This is Wednesday. I'll be putting up <laughs> this up hopefully very, very soon. And then after that, you'll hear Eric's interviews with the actors from Sunrise and what else? And the director from Which Brings Me to You that will consist of one episode. Yeah. But then there's other stuff that he's done. You've done some Sundance, Slam Dance stuff. There's two yeah. sets of interviews there. I'm trying to think from memory. Oh, wait. Ne- never mind. I, I thought I forgot a I thought I forgot a review, but I think that's that's for next week. So no, we're we're good. We're good. My yes, brain's just that- catching my brain's just catching up to me right now. Right. So you okay? Your brains is is you need to go to the hospital. No. Do you have a brain? Situation? Yeah. <laughs> you okay with the brain? So Bliss is I think the Bliss the movie was Bliss and I think you can if you want you can yes. cover it next. Okay, so you can cover Bliss yeah. next week and yeah, as as that go. that hasn't that hasn't released yet. So we got to wait for next week on that, but dude, I cannot wait for Bliss to come out so everyone can see that that movie is so good. Okay. And then right. Virgil Bliss, they need to re-release that cuz that one is just as good. Okay, I'm sure I have go, your go, go to Slam Dance or Sundance or whatever those are playing and watch Bliss if you can. Yeah. Totally worth it. All right, that is it for episode 225 of Cinematics. Hopefully, one of these movies will be. Look, I'm saying my top pick this week is Driving Madeleine. You can't go wrong as well with which brings me to you and Cult Killer. But what, Eric, one more time for your top pick of the week, one more shot. Anything you want to say before, before we go, bud? Go see this well movie. Uh, with the with the re, the actual reviews, it, it's toss up between Driving Madeline and which brings me to you. But Sunrise was interesting too. One more shot was Jesus. One more shot was great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we will see you next week for episode two hundred twenty six. Bruce will be back, but most important, let's listen to what Bruce has watched the last week as far as Oscar Beatty movies. Let's see. Listen and see if he likes it. And most importantly, tell us what you think of these movies as well. We will be back very, very soon. And remember, towards the end of this, we're going to have a little bit of a section regarding the spoilers for Driving Madeline. Please see it in theaters January 19th. And with that, we're still. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for joining Cinematics. Hey, everybody. Sorry I couldn't be on the show this week. I am 
trying to catch up on a bunch of 2023 releases. Unfortunately, I will, of course, fall short. There are way too many out there and some that are still in theaters that I won't be able to catch before awards season hits, probably. We'll see. Maybe I'll get some of them. Either way, uh, I will be back on the show as normal next week, and the other two guys probably have already given you a bunch of good new releases to think about before I even popped up on the show. Either way, I'm going to cover five 2023 releases that I caught this week. I'm going to hit them really quick, just give you my quick impressions, and whether you guys should check them out yourselves. First up is the movie Bottoms that I know Anderson and crew over at the Film Vault quite love. Uh, Bottoms is uh, directed by Emma Seligman, uh, who also was behind, I believe, um, Shiva Baby, also co-starring the same star of Shiva Baby in this movie is Rachel Sennett, also from Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. She plays PJ, uh, her best friend uh, Josie is played by Ayo Edabiri. Uh, we also have Ruby Cruz in here, Marshawn Lynch, and a bunch of other people. This is a great, silly, goofy, raunchy, R-rated high school comedy. Uh, the big difference here is <laughs> where, you know, in the past you get things like super bad, and you've got the the two dudes that are you know oversexed wanting to 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 get get the girls and try to to find a way to be cool or some other movie similar to that. This movie is uh, your two main characters, PJ and Josie, who are two lesbian people who are at the bottom of the social food chain in high school. And therefore, obviously, they're trying to do anything they can to get noticed and to have a chance to get in with the cheerleaders that they both crush on. So it's kind of flipping the the normal kind of, I guess, gender expectations of a movie like this. Uh, very funny, uh, very absurd. I've heard a lot of people comparing it to movies like Superbad and stuff. That's kind of the, or Booksmart. That's another one that a lot of people have brought up with this movie. I think personally, to go into this movie with the concept of something like Heathers, I think Heathers is a good um, touchstone kind of tonally and style-wise because I think both this and Heathers bring a sort of absurdist, um, over-the-top kind of stylistic comic worldview to kind of place this sort of standard um, high school comedy that you usually get. So I think that is a great way to kind of go into this. Um, I found this to be quite, quite fun, quite funny, smart, but also dumb in all the right ways. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that, but... There are dumb comedies that truly feel dumb and you feel dumbed down watching them. Whereas this one is more like uh, the characters and the situations might be kind of silly and, and dumb, but it's all done in a clever, knowing, winking way at the audience. And there's a lot of little sly social commentary in there. And I think it works. I think it works. And Marshawn Lynch is a, is is really a, a find for anyone who knew him in his football days. Uh, you always knew he was funny, but I didn't know he quite had the the chops to take on a bigger role in a movie like he does does here. Uh, once again, Rachel Senna is amazing. But I think the true standout is her best friend, played by uh, Ao or Io Edaberry. Hope I'm saying the name right. I think she kind of steals the show because 
where her the character of Rachel Sennett is kind of uh, pretty unlikable, you know, fun unlikable, but unlikable. Uh, Ao Io has to take on a little more heart. And even though she does some things that are also pretty reprehensible, she at the core wants to be a quote good person. Um, I would say this is highly recommended. This is four and a half stars for me. Next up, I, I kind of did up and down between artsy and lowbrow and artsy to kind of give myself some variety as I did this. Uh, the next one I watched was Killers of the Flower Moon, which is currently on Apple TV Plus. If you have a subscription there, it is now free to stream there. Uh, Martin Scorsese, of course. Uh, I never watched the last one he had, which I'm trying to, The Irishman. Yes, I never watched The Irishman. And I remember I just couldn't do it. And this movie, for whatever reason, even though I know it's three and a half hours long, I thought I had to dive into this and give it a try. And I've heard good and bad about this movie. I've heard a lot of people say it is quite long and, and tedious and somewhat unnecessary. Um, but I thought I'd give it a try. Uh, you've got your usual suspects here for a Scorsese movie. You've got Leonardo DiCaprio playing Ernest. You've got Robert De Niro playing William Hale and uh, Lily Gladstone playing Molly, a whole bunch of other people, but they are your big stars in this movie. Basic concept of this movie, boy, how do you dive into Killers of the Flower Moon? Killers of the Flower Moon takes place in the 1920s. I think it's Oklahoma, the Osage Native American people. Basically, after being pushed all around the United States, like many other Native Americans of that time period, surprisingly, the land that they were settled on ended up being rich in oil. And it starts out by telling us that they had become the richest people in the world for that time period per, per the, I don't know, capita or per the size of the area that they occupy. And the movie basically takes place showing how different groups of white people that have lived there before or are rushing into there, almost like a gold rush, are finding ways to literally steal the money and the rights to the oil from the the Osage people who live there, specifically a lot of the women. Uh, and it follows Molly, Lily Gladstone character, as the people around her, her family members, and the white men around her are all essentially picking off all the women in her family and stealing the oil. It's pretty simple as far as the concept goes. I think where you do or don't love this movie kind of depends upon... The approach. And I think a lot of people don't like the approach where it's like, I think if you approach it as if it's a mystery, I think it'd be unsatisfied because it's not a mystery. You know who's doing what and you know why they're doing it. And it really comes down to kind of watching a version of, you know, fascism, a version of white supremacy, a version of history that you just don't get, and watching how malevolent and how blunt and how stupid and vicious it is but effective and it's it's disheartening of course and horrifying of course i think the one drawback the only thing that keeps us from being five stars for me probably is the fact that the perspective of staying with Ernest and with the robert de niro character as important as it is to see how they use the system or bend the system to get what they want and how they just destroy everything in their path. I always wanted to know more about the Lily Gladstone character and the women on her side of the family. I would have loved to have their perspective, the same story from their perspective, even more. But that being said, the fact that this exists and that we're seeing a version of this, I found really good, really affecting, 
And um, surprisingly, I had no problem with the length. Um, and for Eric, who did not see this, I don't think, I don't remember him seeing this, there is a courtroom sequence in the last, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes. May not be enough for him, but I'm just telling him that as a slight carrot to possibly attract him to watch this at some point. Um, I go four and a half stars on this. It probably makes it into my list of, what, 40 <laughs> best movies of 23. So I think it would make it onto that list, probably. Next up, I watched The Creator by Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards uh, famously did uh, one of the reboots of Godzilla and some of the Raid movies. So you know that Gareth Edwards can do big movies. This movie just never looked like something that would quite be my cup of tea. But a lot of people like, uh, I don't know, middle class film class and people like that watched and loved this movie uh, and said that it was pretty great, actually. So I was interested in checking it out. And it's on Hulu. If you do have Hulu, you could check this out for free. Creator follows a few basic characters. The main one is Joshua, played by uh, John David Washington, who I actually like in pretty much everything he's done. I know some people don't like his acting as much. I, I pretty much like him pretty much in everything. Alfie, which is a young, like a simulant, I think they call them, They're like basically robots. Uh, a young robot girl you've probably seen in all the posters. Um, played by Madela Yuna Voiles. I <laughs> got the name right. I'm so terrible with names. There's strengths. The strength in this movie is not the plot. The plot is pretty basic in a lot of ways. Um, you have a new version of the world where in America, because there was atomic destruction in parts of America, and they are blamed on simulants that lived in society. They basically been outlawed and hunted down. And only in New Asia are simulants allowed to kind of be part of human society and kind of accepted as equals to some degree. America and the Western world basically is trying to destroy any rebels or any version of simulants being accepted into society. And they have this, this thing called Nomad, which is this giant, kind of like a giant flying wing that just floats over the whole earth, uh, basically like a huge satellite that can just target any spot on the earth and cause like a mini almost like a mini nuclear warhead hitting so essentially you might see this this laser sight falling upon you as you're in the middle of a field and you know that you're doomed because this giant drone is going to take you out the strengths of this movie so and the essential story is washington play playing joshua he is originally sent in to destroy this weapon which is the kid but for various reasons in his past and for some um, unfinished business with the woman he loved in his life who was killed by Nomad, he kind of found himself having to try to save the child robot. Now that part might be kind of corny, whatever, but the way it's played out is pretty good. Um, I think what this movie has the most going for it is its world building. And I think I've heard that from other people as well. And I definitely agree. The world building here is excellent. Um, basically, it's kind of on the level you got with especially early James Cameron, um, the way he would have futuristic tech that seemed plausible in movies like uh, Aliens and movies like uh, The Abyss and stuff like that. That's going on strong in this movie as well. So I think all of that stuff works amazingly well. There are some weird gaps and some kind of jumps in the in the actual narrative that kind of I think detract a little bit from the movie, but I still found myself pretty enthralled throughout. Probably is because a four-star movie for me, just because of the plot stuff I'm talking about. This is a movie where I actually could see it being a little longer to kind of fill in some of those gaps. And there's a little bit of schmaltz here and there in some of the scenes. But overall, I, I dug it and I, I, I went with it. 
The fourth movie I watched was No Hard Feelings, directed by Gene Stupnitsky, I believe, starring Jennifer Lawrence as Maddie, Matthew Broderick as Laird, Andrew Barth Feldman as Percy, and there is a little cameo by Kyle Mooney as a nanny. Uh, basic concept. So once again, this is kind of a movie you don't make it very much anymore. Kind of this R-rated yet general audience sort of comedy. Kind of a rare thing. And even though it has somewhat of a, quote, controversial concept, I guess, it's pretty middle of the road as far as the actual presentation. This is kind of a crowd-pleasing sort of comedy. Uh, although I enjoyed it quite a bit. Basic concept is uh, Percy is getting ready to go to college. He is 19, if I remember correctly, just to make sure they're keeping ages appropriate. Uh, he's nerdy. He has no girlfriends. His parents are worried that he just is at home all the time. He's a nice kid, but they want to make sure he's adjusted. So they basically want to hire a woman to be with him. Uh, <laughs> be with him, in quotes. They hire Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, she is uh, working at a bar She's trying to work as an Uber driver, trying to make money to keep her parents' house, which she has basically inherited. And of course, now they're in this kind of uh, in Montauk. So they're in this very kind of upper crust vacation community. So it's very expensive for her to own this house just because of property taxes. Get enough money. She has to have her car to, to be an Uber driver. Her car has been repossessed. So the deal that is put out there is that if she basically shows their son a few things then <laughs> she gets a car and that's the basic setup and like it's predictable in the way that like oh she's gonna do this she's just gonna you know hook up with him and be on her way and of course she doesn't care at all about him and he doesn't know what's going on and of course he's gonna probably find out what's going on and she's gonna maybe actually discover he's a good kid and feel guilty you can kind of figure out all the beats of this movie but the beats are done well the comedy scenes are done really well. And surprisingly, Jennifer Lawrence has got great comic chops in this movie. Underrated. I'm surprised it wasn't a bigger hit. I don't know if it's just marketing or the timing. I feel like this came out midsummer. I don't know how it overlapped with movies like Barbie. So maybe that might have had an effect. Or maybe it's just people don't go to the movies to see this kind of comedy anymore. They waited for it to stream. This is a perfect streaming comedy that you can watch with significant other Saturday night, you want to watch a kind of an easy to watch fun movie. I think this is a pretty, pretty good one. I give this one a four stars. I had a great time with it. A lot of fun. Just, just a kind of movie you don't get much anymore. And I think uh, done very well. I, we talk about this once in a while. You get a movie that's predictable, action movie, horror movie, something you've seen before. But if you do it really, really well, it doesn't matter if you've seen it before because it's still good. The, the, the formula works if it's done well. This is one of those movies. And last, A Thousand and One. This is one I know Greg saw early in the year and was sad that we didn't get to see. So I was really curious to catch up to this movie. Directed by A.V. Rockwell. Also written, I believe, by A.V. Rockwell. Where did I see this one? Shoot. I think this one might be on Amazon as well. No Hard Feelings, I said, it was on Netflix. Yes. A Thousand and One stars a few people. The main people you want to know about in this movie are Tiana Taylor, and she plays Inez or Inez. Lucky, her longtime boyfriend slash possibly husband, William Catlett. And then you've got T or Terry, her son, in various ages um, throughout the movie. I think he starts out, he's about eight or nine. And then at some point he's about 14 or 15. And then a little bit later, he's 17 towards the end, uh, played by Josiah Cross as a 17-year-old, uh, most notably. But all the iterations of T are done 
very well, and they really did a great job casting the different ages for T. Not only does he seem like he could be the older version of the same kid from each version you've seen before, each generation you see of T is really well acted. So that's probably a lot for a casting director to figure out to get um, somebody to play all those parts. It kind of reminded me of Moonlight in that way, having to get someone from different ages to play the same character and uh, really kind of living or dying on how well you do that. Okay, so basic concept, it starts out with 1994 and you've got Lucky, or not Lucky, I'm sorry, you got Inez in 1994. She's just getting out of uh, Rikers. She's obviously been in some trouble. She's kind of going and looking up and finding her son who has been put into foster care and essentially trying to reconnect with him and get her feet back under her. She goes to various friends and people she knows, and they all kind of see her as a a several-time loser, someone who's always in trouble. Uh, Lucky, the boyfriend I mentioned before, is always in and out of prison as well. So she's just living, she's living a rough life and odds aren't looking great for her. This is also in New York. This is going on, um, living, just <laughs> basically making it, right? And when you first meet T, or she first rejoins with T, he's very suspicious of her and he essentially looks like he's living on the street. And then at some point he gets hurt. Uh, he ends up in the hospital. She essentially kidnaps him. He is supposed to go back into foster care. She is not considered fit to be his mother. And she takes him and changes his identity, jumps through a few hoops to get fake ID for him. And the rest of the movie is essentially how she and he live their lives with or without Lucky kind of going in and out of their lives and how she does or doesn't, you know, give him a better life than she had um, and tries to keep herself on a somewhat straight and narrow path. That's kind of the strength of this movie. And the performance by Tiana Taylor is remarkable. She could definitely be up for some awards. I doubt she will be because it was a movie from earlier this year. A really affecting movie. Um, I think it's pretty, pretty amazing in a lot of scenes. Some really great character work here. The story, some versions of what we've seen before, but it's really bowed up by these great and really richly developed and realized characters. Doesn't quite go to five-star status to me. I'm probably four to four and a half on this one, but it's a pretty great movie. And especially if you like well-drawn dramas with great characters, um, this one's a no-brainer. All right, that's my roundup. Hope that gives you a few good things to go check out. All right, Eric. So Driving Madeleine, got to ask you this question. When did you find out that, when did you just surmise that Madeleine by the end of the movie will die by the end of the film? So I didn't know necessarily that she was going to die, but it was kind of, do you know when like you hear about something and you didn't know what the answer was going to be, but once you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, of course. That that's kind of that's kind of where I was with this. Where when when I found out she she died, I was like, oh, of course they went there because throughout the movie, as she's telling her story, everything like she she doesn't get her theme is she doesn't get to experience joy for very long. She gets yeah. a, she finds a guy that he likes and he's immediately an abuser and a rapist. She finds someone in World War II. <laughs> she, she she burns his thing off. Oh yeah, she does. She burns and goes his... to uh, goes to prison for that. But then she finally comes out, and then she can be with her with her son again. And he goes off to war and dies. Like mm-hmm. like Ed, she, her her moments of joy is fleeting. 
And then I, I guess that's another cool thing about this is like, you know, the joy with the taxi driver, you know, the bond that they've grown. It's yeah. it's a piece of joy in her life, but it's fleeting, you know. So, so when eight hours when, at the most, right? Probably. Yeah. So when when he heard that she died, I was like, oh, of course she did, you know, because this is this is one of her little crumbs of joy she gets in her life. God forbid she have a full meal of it, you know. She just gets the she gets a little crumb. But I think at her age, she's kind of learned to uh, kind of take it in as they come, because I think she knows that that's kind of. I, almost like a curse on her life like mm-hmm. i don't get these moments much i'm gonna enjoy this like i'm gonna recognize that this is a joyful situation and take it all in as i can for some reason i was just so enwrapped with the story that i never thought that she would pass away i don't know i was clueless i was naive i never thought that he would just waive the entire fare which he probably should have made what several hundred bucks that day and he decides to waive the fare i didn't I, you saw that coming obviously i no, so that I saw that as uh, his excuse to go back and see her again. But had, how long has it been since he dropped her off and he found out she was dead? Because it, it, in the movie, it felt like it was the Maybe next day. day the but next I, day, I'm thinking. I'm thinking the next day. I, I, I feel like that we might have missed something, and it's been a couple weeks. Like, oh, I've been meaning to go back, but I couldn't find the time or something. But yeah, in, in yeah, fact- I, yeah, I guess he did talk to his wife, and it's like, hey, I need you to meet her. Yeah, I think it was no. more not even to collect the fare, just to meet her. He wanted yeah. to, and what was cool was he's a guy who doesn't really talk in to a lot of the passengers in his car, and he starts opening up a little bit, and then he decides to actually stop the car and have a really lavish dinner with her. Like it, he he decides to actually spend. He's yeah. the one who spends money on her to have a great meal, right? Yeah, and, and it, it was great. I thought it was a very touching movie. It worked on so many levels, and I can't wait till this comes out on on Blu-ray. I'm gonna snatch it up. Yeah. By the way, this director Christian Carrion, what you should do is go on IMDb, look him up. He has a great career. Like I think it's Joy Joy Noel. I'm mispronouncing it. It's called Merry Christmas, and that was I think one of the movies that made Diane Kruger not a star, a star back in the day. It came out in 2005. But what's interesting is he. About several years ago, he released a movie called My Son, and he released it. He released a version of the movie back in 2017, starring Guillaume Canet. And I could be wrong on this. I think Guillaume Canet was previously married to Diane Kruger. I don't know. Anyways, there was a version of the his movie, uh, My Son or something, was released in 2017, and then several years later, it was released as a remake. With him doing the remake, this time that movie oh, okay. starred James McAvoy and Claire Foy. So it's really interesting. He is a really well-respected director, and it's cool. Yeah, so very yeah, interesting. I, I'm looking at that now. I saw two of my sons. I'm like, which one are you talking about? And why are Both there of two them. of them? I, I assume one of them was the one of them was like a short. Sometimes they'll do a short, and then they'll do the full movie. Yeah, but his most I guess Michael Haneke did that with uh with uh funny, funny games. games. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So. Merry Christmas from 2005 is his most popular film, but I think Driving Madeline is the one that I think it will hopefully it will get a little bit more heat down the road because this is one of those gems that I think people will really dig. Why do you suppose and, this movie's coming out now as opposed to like, this? This feels like it should be like an awards sort of thing. I know that's a good question. I think 
they had some kind of distribution st strategy, maybe first in Paris, maybe first released it in France. Yeah, so like, there's European like markets. a like driving, driving Madeline, one more shot. Like these should be like Oscar type movies we should I be know. talking about, but I don't know. All right, guys, if you listen to our little mini spoiler of driving Madeline. Oh, by the way, finally, when she passes and he gets, he visits her. What what happens at the end? He, he and the, the driver, his wife and their daughter, they visit her gravesite at the end. Is that what they do? They visit her gravesite. Uh, and it looked like a, it's weird because at first I thought it was a crypt, but, and it might be. Yeah. But it, it was right. just like a, it was just like a little tiny plaque among plaque. other plaques. Other plaques. Yeah. So they're, they, what is it called? A mausoleum? I, I don't know. Anyways, in, this, in the cemetery, they go there, they see that her name and the plaque and everything, and they're leaving. And then her lawyer, or representative, or maybe financial advisor. Pops up. Yeah, her estate person pops up <laughs> hey, with I'm a letter. Hey, I'm here to serve papers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, this is up. a good one. You're, you're... <laughs> yeah, and then he, it's it's a nice touching letter. And then she says, oh, by the way, I sold my house and I can't enjoy it in the afterlife. Sort of a cherry on top to that ending. Yeah. As a writer, what, do you, what did you think? Do you think that cherry on top was a little bit too much or was um, it perfectly I, fitting before because of what the movie is? I thought that whole scene was kind of unrealistic. Just the the lawyer popping up out of nowhere, like, "Hey, you're so and so. Here's her thing." It was like, yeah. "Wait, where do you come from? How do you know who that is?" And like, none of this makes sense. But you just kind of go with it. And then the as he's reading her letter, I was like, eh, "She, well, I guess that goes back to her knowing that you know everything's fleeting, and the only way that she wouldn't be able to, well, yeah, how how does she know she's gonna die?" It's like she had heart problems. Like, yeah, but I think you know, she knew at the. Like, I, I, I think she I, knew I, after I, writing that letter, she was because she had heart problems. This was pretty much her expiring at that night. Maybe, but like the so the the letter that she wrote seemed a little too what's the word sappy, sentimental. No, not sappy. It feels like she knew too much about her future that mm. humans don't typically know. But mm. again, this is a movie, so you kind of let the stuff like that go. It it yeah. just seemed kind of odd to me, but you know, still kind of worked regardless. Yeah, and of course, she leaves him her house, which yeah. probably nets a pretty good little sum of money. And it's mentioned throughout the movie that he has. Financial, I, I, he I has guess it'd be like if financial uh, troubles. Yeah, if my health wasn't great, and I wrote you, and I was like, "Dear Greg, if you're reading this, it means I died May twenty second, two thousand. 24 at 11 37 p.m <laughs> and as such this means that blah 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 it's like no awful lot of details of your passing that i i don't believe that you actually know that is true yeah anyways i really liked the ending it was everything that eric said maybe just felt out of not out of place a little bit too much but i wanted some of i guess like too convenient maybe yeah but, too but, convenient, but also yeah. at the same time with the story like that you want you want to uh you want nice. a, a satisfying ending. Yeah. At the, at the end, you want a nice warm hug, even though it doesn't, I don't know, does it feel very realistic? No, it's a movie. So I think overall, I think it, it put a nice dot on that eye. So yeah. that's, yeah, Driving Madeline. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Yes, Eric, you want to say something before we get out of here? Oh, no. I, I was going to say the real ending was when he, uh, when he first finds out and then he brings his wife to the room. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. And, nice. and it's like, right. she's not there. And like, he doesn't, he doesn't care. He just wants to bring his wife to the room. And like, uh, I, I can see him like bringing her there. And like, she's like trying to console him. And like what I thought would like him talking to like 
maybe a leftover picture of her or something. It's like here, you know, here, here's my wife and but you know, just through his grief, just kind of letting mm. it all out there. I think that would have made more sense than him reading a note from her basically predicting her death. Probably would have been a lot more emotionally realistic, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps, but um, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, but that that was an in, that if they ended it that way in the sort of in the nursing home, that would have worked too. So yeah, tell us what you guys think of Driving Madeline. Um, hopefully, some of you get to see this movie. And thanks for listening to us here over at Cinematics.